just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Hi, welcome to the Loki Podcast. My name is Johnny Ball from Present Influence. I'm joined today by a very special guest. We have Stephanie Scheller with us. Stephanie is a professional speaker for five years or more now. She has her own podcast, which is called Black Belt Selling. She is a TEDx speaker, as well as having been nominated for numerous business awards, including the Forbes 30 Under 30 last year. And she is an expert in sales training with also have several best-selling books under her belt as well. Stephanie, welcome to the Loki podcast. Thank you for having me. I am real I love this topic of influence and persuasion and I mean this is this is my jam. I get excited about that. I've been looking forward to our conversation. It's it's one of my most interesting areas as well, one that always gets me um G'd up in, in a similar kind of way because for me when I first sort of discovered all this hidden influence and stuff that was going on my my mind expanded and I, I need to know more about this I guess you were similar as well I was as a kid I would sit there and you would hear about um, all of the experiments people were doing with marketing like the um, the subliminal messaging right and how subliminal messaging was banned because it was so influential so and but okay so it was you know they're not supposed to do it but they're still doing it right we're still influencing people subliminally all the time and I realized that if they're doing this I want to understand it because I want to know when I'm being influenced as much as humanly possible so that I can make a decision, right? Make a solid decision, a smart decision. So I've been obsessed with this since I was like, I don't know, 10, 11 years old. Like this has always been something that I've been like, huh, that's kind of cool. I wonder how you do that. You know, I wonder how, you know, how does this work? So, um, yeah. It, it runs, it runs that kind of fine line between, influence and mind control and I think that maybe is why it's kind of intriguing for me and maybe yourself as well I can remember uh, all those stories about that they were hiding subliminal messages in tv things even if it was just as uh, benign as go buy popcorn or something like that but right yeah studies that I've seen since then suggested that doesn't necessarily work in the way that they thought it might and also that uh, it uh, really only had an effect on a, a small percentage of, of people that were so it was hard to gauge at best so then it's kind of interesting but but still there, there are so many other things and aspects and there are subliminal or subconscious ways of influencing people other than the sort of being fascinated by that how did you get into that in terms of sales training and understanding more about the psychology of influence 
Uh, so I, my first job out of college, I got a job in sales. Um, it was not supposed to go that way. My degree, like I got this really expensive degree um, in equine business and facility management. So I was going to go run a horse barn. Um, but I found out, I went to school in Ohio and Ohio is on the northern side of the U.S. and it's cold. It's, it's cold there. It snows. I'm Texas. Like I'm Texas born and raised. It's warm. I'm wearing long sleeves today. It's like in the 60s. I'm cold. Like so snow and I did not get along. And when I graduated, I had this realization of like, oh my gosh, if I am going to get paid enough money to pay off my loans, um, if I want to do this to, to get paid that kind of money, because I needed, I needed 40,000 a year. Um, I was going to have to stay up North because all the barns, all the facilities down South did not pay that kind of money. So I was going to have to stay in the North and I just kind of looked around and said, yeah, I'm not up for this. So I came back down South and I was looking for a plan B and I got this job as a sales rep and I was doing it and I, I did well in sales, but I really believe like the only reason I did well in sales is because I have this like super persuasive, bubbly personality. People like talking to me. They like having conversations with me and I worked really hard. I was running like 20 appointments a week, some weeks, which, you know, 2025, even, like it was, it was nuts how hard I was working to get two sales, three sales a week. And so when there was a point I went to my manager because my mom, who's a small business owner, came to me and said, hey, I'm getting this sales training. This stuff is genius. And at that point in time, I didn't even know there was a thing called sales training. Like, like I didn't, I just had no clue. And um, I, I go to my boss and I said, hey, um, my mom's been working with this sales trainer. He's coming into the area and he's offered to come in and do a free hour of sales training for our, our office. You know, would you guys be open to him coming in? And my boss looked at me and he goes, we don't do, no, 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 no. Sales trainers are scammers. Stay away from those guys. Right. And so I was like, oh, oh, sales trainers are scammers. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, fast forward another year and um, they, company ended up making some big mistakes with my paycheck and, and finding excuses to not pay me commission checks and all kinds of craziness. Um, and I ended up out in California, um, learning how to start a sales training business because I had no other option really. Like they were, I literally went from, you know, making a $3,000 commission check a month to making no commission check a month with no warning, no heads up, no nothing, just my commission check just went and they were like, Oh yeah, you're not getting a commission check anymore. And so I'm sitting here going, what do I do? Like I kind of count on that money. Um, so I ended up going, starting a sales training business, um, built it from scratch, had replaced my full-time income in less than five months and walked away and ran a sales training business, built it up to be the largest, most active practice in central Texas. Um, and then realized I wasn't so much into sales training in general as I was into working with small businesses. So I made a transition away from that, but that's, I guess that wasn't really a short story. That was the long story of how I got into sales training. I, I can imagine it could be longer, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, no, no, it's fine. It, and it gives us, it gives us a nice idea of your journey to, to go into that. But what, we, yeah. what actually made you pick sales training then from there? 
Um, I was good at sales. I was real. I mean, well, I thought I was good at sales. <laughs> Um, I was the number two sales rep. We were the number one division in the country for this company. So I thought I was good at sales. I realize now I was really just good at like working hard, <laughs> but I thought I was good at sales. Um, and it was the opportunity. I mean, so what happened was September, 2013, they, I didn't get a commission check. That was the first month I didn't get a commission check. And they, I literally like I logged into my bank account the morning I was supposed to get my commission check and it wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And I show up to work and I'm like, what's going on? They're like, Oh yeah, sorry. And it was eight months of them saying, well, we're going to get you a new commission plan. Oh, nope. Sorry. never mind. Yep. We are. Nope. Yep. Nope. And so I, what had happened was they'd finally rolled out a new commission plan Everyone was supposed to get commission this month. This was March, 2014. And my boss texts me and says, Hey, heads up. You're not getting a commission check again. And I just had like a meltdown and I was at a client's office. I excused myself. I walked out into the parking lot. I'm crying. And I called my mom because I'm like, at this point, I'm, you know, 20 something years old. What are you? Mm. I didn't know what else to do. So I call my mom and I'm just crying to her and it was just, it was literally chance. She was like, Stephanie, I am flying out to California next month to go to the sales training boot camp on how to start a sales training practice. It's a family ticket. You're coming with me. You're going to start a sales training business and you're walking away from those guys. And that was literally, and I was like, okay, I could do this. I can sell. I, I you know, if I go to this boot camp on how to run this business, I can do this. I can do this. And so that was what I did. Um, mm -hmm. So it was literally, I mean, it was just like the perfect, you know, everything came together the right way. So, yeah, I, so had yeah. it not happened quite like that, who knows, who knows where, right. where it might have gone. <laughs> I find so much of life is like that. It's like sometimes one small decision or something just happening at a certain time uh, allows things to go a certain way and who knows where it might have ended up had that not been, not been the case. Well, thankfully, yeah. thankfully this is the path you took and, and so we're here now speaking today. Uh, what yeah. were some of the things that you, you discovered? Because it's interesting to me that you're saying that you were already naturally uh, a warm and happy and smiley personality. And, and well, of course, well, and that's very much the impression I get as well. And you already now, or you now understand the importance of likability in terms of sales and, and influence and persuasion, right? <laughs> so you already had that as a natural gift yourself. Did, did you know? Mm -hmm. When you learned how important likability was, did you ramp that up or look for ways to, to turn it up more? I, I did. So I have this warm personality, this bubbly personality. Um, my now husband at the time boyfriend would also joke. He'd be like, you know, I could tell when you're you know, really needing a sale because you, you dress very attractively. And I'm like, not sure what that means. So that was never intentional um, as much as he thinks it was. Um, it was never intentional like that. But once I learned, so, cause my issue is when I would get into the sales appointment, I mean, I showed up, we had a sales appointment set. So I'm showing up with my book, I'm sitting down and I'm like going into the pitch. I'm like, all right, like, you know, I'm here to pitch you. I know I'm here to pitch you. Like I would just go straight into the pitch. And so what happened, one of the big things for me, um, so while I was working for that corporate job, I was a sales rep for them for a year. At the end of the year, they came to me and said, hey, you know, would you be willing to take over our retention team? We have, our retention numbers are abysmal. 
I mean, like 16, 12% retention and literally you are the retention. Like your accounts are the only accounts that are making it to the one year mark. Um, and I was like, oh really? So that's crazy. So I switched to this retention role. And so when I left the sales role, I actually, there were some deals that I'd been working on and working on and I tried to close them out before I switched. Didn't work out. So I switched to the retention role and three weeks later, a new account comes across my desk. So to explain this one, it takes two weeks for an account to go live, which means for something to cross my desk two weeks after, three weeks after I switch, it means somebody called someone the week I switched, closed the deal, and got it processed, okay? This account crosses my desk, and it's one of the accounts that I tried so hard to close out before I switched. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at the account going, what the heck? How did this happen? I worked on this account for eight months. I worked so hard trying to close this deal. So I go and I track down the sales rep who sold it. And I like pinned him down in the kitchen. <laughs> like he's in the kitchen getting a cup of coffee. I walked in and I blocked the doorway. <laughs> and I was like, hey, Cedro. So I saw you got Martha's restaurant. And he goes, yeah, yeah. I mean, you just warmed them up for me. I just, wa I mean, they were ready to close. And I was like, no, they weren't. I met with them three times trying to close them leading up to the transition over they would never buy i worked on them for eight months what the heck why did what what happened and he goes oh i mean it was it was a timing thing i mean he's making all kinds of excuses right and i'm like no what happened and he goes well don't take this personally and i was like what he goes <laughs> i was like he goes they just didn't feel like they could trust you. Like they, they just, they, they felt like, you know, all you ever did was show up and want to talk about the, the program and, and they, you know, it, they, they just, they just didn't like you as much. And it was like this slap in the face and this realization that you have to prioritize that a lot more than I used to, than I did. Mm -hmm. You have to spend time getting to know people and building that relationship and being likable. And it was a very hard wake up call, a very, um, I mean, that was tough to sit there and just having got a promotion, I'm running a team now, yeah, and to be told, you know. Some quite strong feedback. Uh, and, and so, you know, you need to maybe a bit of time to process and be with that and make peace with it. Was that okay, let's start, start to look how you can use it. But yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's, so, it's it's making me kind of think of, of how people often show up in business networking situations as well, right? And um, when I first started getting into having my own business, some people said, you have to go and network, you have to go and network. So I started going to Chambers of Commerce meetings and I started going to whatever networking things I could find. And this is a pre-meetup kind of thing as well. And, um, 
and what I generally found was it was mostly people thrusting business cards in my face uh, and trying to either get get a sale or a referral. They wanted one or the other, and it was like if if you couldn't provide either, you were you were no use. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, and they get yeah. so dismissive. I mean, right. we're gonna talk about body language today, right? You can watch their body language shut down, their feet turn, they're no longer interested in you, their voice goes flat, and they're just they they stop asking interested questions, and they it's I mean. It's it that hasn't changed. I don't I don't know if you've done much networking recently. I avoid. Well, I I, I do, and uh, I I aim for better networks. <laughs> so I aim yeah. for more social networks uh, in terms not not online so much, but uh, but in person. So, uh, for example, the the business network that I'm a part of uh, now that I joined last year uh, is much more of a we come together socially. You don't get your business cards out at the table unless somebody asks you for your card. And you don't, right. you're not promoting your business. You get two minutes each to introduce yourself and to say what you're about. And other than that, we're just talking and having a conversation. Yeah. So, so when people come into that and they're just like, push my business, get a sale, get a client, get, come and have a strategy session, come and uh, test my products. It doesn't fit in that environment. And that's the kind of networking environment that I want to be in because I actually want to get to know people. I'm far more likely to buy or recommend somebody who I like, who I, who is a friend in my network, and yeah. that, that's the that's so that's how I view networking now. Is that that for me was uh, I discovered that business networking can be like that more often. That's that's great. That's the kind of networking I want to do when it's a yeah. uh, business card thrust in your face. No thanks. I, I don't really want that. No, I, I always joke. I'm like, I don't play business card bingo. I get invited to networking events all the time. And I'm like, I don't play business card bingo anymore. And everyone kind of laughs. They're like, what's business card bingo? I'm like, where you just go out and try and collect the most business cards and see if you can get, you know, five in a row. Like <laughs> it, no, stars don't align like that. I, and the funny thing, I've gone to networking events. If I go to a networking event, I get a client out of it pretty much every time, even if it's those really crappy networking events, just because of who I am, how I show up, my elevator pitch is really strong. Like I get clients out of it, but what I've discovered is that they are not the clients I enjoy working with. They're almost always problem clients. And I'm the kind of person that if you're a problem client and I want you to disappear, I will refund your money so that I can give you the boot. And so I found that I was doing work to end up refunding the money because they were pain in the butt and I didn't want to work with. So I was just like, yeah, this is just this is not worth it. Not worth it. Yeah. So I, my, my business has been mainly coaching and consulting. I do more training now than what mine's more around public speaking and influence skills, not specifically yeah. in training. And, um, and then the same kind of thing, I am not going to work with someone who I don't feel is a good fit. Uh, and I learned that lesson in my earlier days of coaching from trying to thinking it was always thinking it was about me, but but trying to make it work or make it fit, and you do, especially in earlier days, you think I need the business, I need the work, I can deal with it, I can put up with the crap from these people whilst I'm trying to make this work, whilst I get myself set up. But really, generally, it's just never worth it, and it eats up a lot of time and energy that you would be far better off putting into getting a new client, fire them in, and get somebody better to work with. So, so now, you know, the, the sort of whether, whether meeting to whether discuss whether we can work together or not, if I, 
why they want to work with me and how I can best help them is also at the end of it, I, and they t I say at the start, at the end of the meeting, I'm going to tell you as well whether I think we're a good fit and we can continue to work. And if the answer is no, I will try and direct you to someone who I think would be a good fit for you. But if the answer yeah. is yes, then we'll move on to the next step. Uh, and it's yeah. so much better, so much mentally healthier and, and it also saves a lot of time. It does. Well, and so I'm on this new crusade now. Um, I've just, I've just decided this over the past couple of weeks that, you know, energy is your greatest asset and you've got to protect your energy, right? Time, time is important too, but I hear a lot of people talk about time's your greatest asset. It's your greatest resource. You can't get more time. You can get more money. You can't get more time. But I really think that energy is because if you have, I'm going to take two seconds to go to talk about this one and then we'll get back on track. But if you have time, We've all had a time where you had an evening stretching before you and you had no energy to do anything with it. So was that time really valuable? Mm. Not really. So you have to protect your energy. And when you're pouring energy, your energy needs to go into places that renew that energy, right? And so if you're pouring energy into a client that is just sucking you dry, the problem is not only is there the lost time there, but now you have to go spend time rejuvenating your energy so that you can actually have the energy to go after the clients you want. Yeah. So the actual loss of taking on those clients is just astronomical and people don't recognize that they don't own it. And it just drives me, drives me nuts, drives me absolutely crazy. No, I agree. Uh, and it, it usually is a lesson I think people learn from from bad experiences rather than in advance and so if anyone's listening yeah. and hasn't yet had that experience see if you can learn this in advance because <laughs> it really sucks to go through that and and have to figure it out for yourself so figure out work with people who you really want to work with and if you get a sense that someone's going to be a real pain in the ass for you get rid of them move on much too short yeah. Good advice, really good <laughs> advice. So, so I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to touch on that. Now, in your experience as as a sales trainer, mm -hmm. what do you think? I mean, other than the likability factor, what are some of the other key areas that people need to learn about and consider to to become better at influencing others? Because I mean, on some level, we're all kind of in sales. We all have to sell ideas or some something or other persuade other people yep. in life so, so this is good for everybody not just people who work in sales yeah and i think so one of the things to keep in mind i think you know influence influence is part of your likability right how well you are how well you do influence plays into how likable you are right if you're over over the top your arm twisting right you're forcing people to do stuff your influence, I would rate your influence at like a one or maybe uh, can we go negative? Like, you know, that's not influence at that point. Right. And, and your likability score drops as well. So I think the two are like tied together. And I think one of the really important things um, is, you know, speech patterns and your voice. Um, so I remember this one time, first time I realized that this actually mattered. Um, when I, and going back to when I was in, I use a lot of my own stories because there's a lot of things right, I yeah, screwed I up That's and I'm true. like, let's, <laughs> let's learn from what I did wrong. So hopefully you don't have to. But, um, so when I got started in sales, I had a really rockin' first two weeks. I closed like quadruple quota in four weeks. Um, my first two weeks, everyone's like losing it. The next six weeks I closed nothing, like literally 
nothing. My bosses are all freaking out. They're like, what is going on? And so towards the end of those six weeks, my, my manager rides with all along with me. Right. So he gets in the car. We, I set an appointment. We go out to meet with this one lady and she's sitting across the table from us. It was an AC company and she's sitting across the table and she just sits there and you can't see my, but she's got her hands folded in front of her on the desk. She's very prim. She's very proper. She talks very much like this, very calm, very measured. And of course, me being me, knowing that I need the sale. And the only thing I knew at this point about sales was when I got excited and passionate, people tend to be more likely to buy in. And they, if I could get them excited, they would buy in too. So I'm sitting there across from her, my manager's sitting next to me, and I'm doing the presentation. And the quieter and more withdrawn she gets, the more excited and bigger and just broader. And I just start talking faster. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is such an awesome. Like I'm going off on this poor lady. <laughs> and we get to the end of the presentation. And of course, you know, I'm like, so what do you think? And she sits there. And she takes the sheet and she's slipping through it very quietly, very calmly, not saying anything. So I'm like, so we could, and my boss leans over and he steps on my foot. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> not sure what that meant, but clearly he wants me to shut up. And so I was very quiet. We finished the presentation, obviously did not get the deal. But we get in the car driving back and he said, Stephanie, Stephanie, okay, first of all, after you ask for the clothes, the first person to speak loses, which I'm going to address that terminology in just a second here. But he says, the first person to speak loses. Either, you know, you, you got to let them be the first person to speak. I said, okay. He said, the other thing is salespeople need to be chameleons you were way overpowering her with your energy. She felt completely run over by you. There's no way she was going to make the decision to buy because you took her power away. And so it was, and he didn't say it quite that eloquently because that wasn't his style, but that's, you know, the Stephanie interpretation of it. But that was the first time I realized when you're talking to someone, you're, the way you talk, your voice is an instrument. Your voice is one of your greatest assets and body language and all that comes into play too, but you've got to be very conscious about what you do with your voice, what you do with your body language, and you want to match what they're doing, right? So whoever you're talking to, if you come in, if you want to get someone excited, the way to do that is you, so let's say they're at a level five energy and you want to get them to level seven energy. Well, you don't go to level seven energy. You go to a level 5.5 energy and you bring, they'll, they'll come along with you. Now you can go to level six energy and you bring them along. Now you can go to level 6.5, right? And notice I didn't even go five, six, seven, right? You want to move them along in small increments. Same the other way. Let's say you're talking to someone and they come in and they're bubbling, they're excited, they're going off, they're all over the place. And you're like, I need you to focus. Well, instead of you sitting there and you trying to like deflate them, which is once again going to take away their feeling of power, right? When someone doesn't feel like they have a choice in their energy level, 
when they feel like they have to match you or be overpowered by you, you take away their sense of control. And when people feel like they're out of control, they don't like to make buy-in decisions. And buy-in decisions can be, you know, whatever you want. So your buy-in decision could be buying into the idea. It could be buying into doing the dishes for your spouse because they ask. Like your buy-in decision can be whatever. And so you have to learn to match them. So someone comes in and they're bubbly and you're like, give them a minute of you being bubbly too, right? Show them that you're following them and then you start to scale it back. So they're at a five, you need to get them to a three. You say, oh my gosh, hey, it's so good to see you. How's your day going? That's awesome. How about your week? What's the highlight of your week? He sounds like something cool has happened and let him talk. And then you go, okay, all right. So let's go ahead and let's go ahead and get focused here and let's work on this. Okay. All right. Great. So notice I brought it down just a little bit. And then you go, okay, so, so I would say that would bring it down maybe a four, 4.5. All right, so let's talk through this. So I've got the paperwork and you, you just slowly bring them down to the level. And it's about, you know, your speech patterns. How fast are you talking? How short are your sentences, right? If I'm talking really fast and I'm really excited, all of my sentences tend to be really short and choppy. And that's okay. That's what we do when we're excited because our brain starts firing and we have a hard time keeping up. So that's cool. And as you slow things down, it's much easier to speak in full, complete sentences, longer sentences that make more sense, right? If you were to write up that too or get those transcribed, you'd have a bunch of periods in the first one, maybe a bunch of exclamation marks. The second one, you'd have semicolons and hyphens and parentheses and, you know, totally different sentence structure, right? So when I talk about speech patterns, it's changing the lilt of your voice, the energy levels of your voice, um, and your body language, but talking primarily about voice. Um, but it's also changing how you arrange the sentences that come out of your mouth as well, because that influences the energy and the interest that other people will bring. Right. So now some people kind of, some people do these things more or less naturally. Yeah. And, and so it's sometimes, you know, sometimes I felt when I was learning your linguistic programming and, and things along these sorts of lines, that um, when you are, when it gets explained to you, you stop doing it naturally because you are trying to do it consciously. Something, right. that, you, something that you do unconsciously, something you just naturally do without having to think about it. It's kind of pre-programmed. And uh, the pace and lead thing that you, you're describing of going to where they are and then leading them into either a higher energy or a lower energy is, is super important. I can, I can see exactly why it's important in sales, in meetings, in one-to-one. -one. Uh, it's especially important in, in public speaking right, as well. But, yes. there's, but there's some differences there. What, I know what I have an idea of what those differences are, but for you as, as a public speaker yourself, what would be the difference when you want to uh, when you want to lead the energy of a, a bigger group? Really, really good question. So um, it's really a couple of things I've learned to do. One, whoever is introducing me, I've got to get them. So I have to come in at a really high energy level on stage because whatever energy level I come in at, it can't be over the top, but it needs to be high, right? Um, so perfect example, yesterday I was speaking at an event and I wanted to make sure that whoever introduces you will make or break you, right? So if you get on stage and you are introduced by someone who 
that like I've got a really great speaker bio that we've you know spent a lot of time putting together, making sure it flows, making sure the impact is just right, the period. But if I give, I can give that to people and they have butchered the whole thing. And they're just like, Stephanie Scheller is an accomplished speaker and author who, um, and they just blow the whole, right? The audience is so disengaged. So I always make sure, you know, who's introducing me and I want to go have a conversation with them and I want to make sure I'm doing the leading energy thing, right? So whatever level they're at, I meet them there and then I lead them to whatever energy level I want them at on stage. So if I need to come out on stage at a nine, right? Rarely are you going to come out on stage at a full on 10. 10 to me is like, like not often are you going to run out on stage that way. Um, Even Tony Robbins I, doesn't went out on stage like that, right? First away, <laughs> right? There's yeah, so it's it's just too much. And it, if you go out at that level, right, that's too far away because your energy, your audience is sitting right in in a stage setting. They're sitting in their chair. They're at like a level four. You come out at a ten. You're six points above. You're not gonna you're not gonna catch them. But if I need to come out at like a nine or an eight in order to really get things going. I want whoever introduces me on stage to be coming out. Let's say the audience is at a four low, lower energy level. I want the person who introduces me on stage to be at a six or a six, like a six, six and a half. Right. So I make sure that I lead them to that energy level when I'm talking with them and I get them excited. Then I talk about how excited I am to be here, to be talking to these guys and how much I love doing this. And this is my passion. And I just, and by the way, I can't thank you enough for introducing me. And it just means the world to me. Did you get the chance to look over the bio? Does it make sense? Are you good? Do you need anything from me? Can I get you? Do you want a drink of water? And they're just sitting and they're like blown away. They're like, the speaker is offering to get me a drink of water. What the heck? <laughs> like, um, but then they go out on stage, right? And the lady goes out on stage yesterday and she goes, how are you guys doing? Right. And I'm, I'm the after lunch speaker, which means everyone is Always like, Always tough. Oh man. So she comes out, how's everyone doing? Good. Digesting our food. <laughs> right? And she's like, no, 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 no. Y'all, y'all, you got to give me more energy before I bring this person out on stage. You are not going to believe it. But she goes off and she has such a great intro and gets everyone fired up. And then when I come out on stage, I'm cracking jokes. I'm giving stuff away. I'm high energy. I'm moving around, I'm making a lot of eye contact, talking a little bit faster, and I'm making jokes about the fact that I'm Italian and I talk fast and I use my hands. By the way, let me tell you this story of this time where my mom, who's full-blood Italian, was telling a story and two of us kids decided to be prankful and we walk over, we hold our hands down by her side and she couldn't talk. She just sat there and she sputtered and she... you guys, right? And everyone laughs and it gives me the chance to transition from that really high energy into a little bit lower energy, Mm -hmm. right? Going from talking fast into that slower. And I say, all right, so we're going to have fun. I'm going to crack jokes, right? You can't stay at super high energy the whole time, but you got to come out high energy when you're, when you're talking to a group full of people. Um, and then, you know, I scaled back the energy to maybe a seven throughout the rest of the presentation. And but that's for, perfect for me that when, when I, when I talk, usually I, I, I look to make sure that there is a range of emotional levels within 
what I'm talking about because you know, yeah make it appropriate to what you're actually saying and, and the, what you're actually doing and what you want to get from the people who are listening to you but also yeah. anything that's done on just one level all the way through is going to be tedious it is yeah and people disengage and they disconnect and and it's it's monitoring the levels too so we had a moment in the presentation where i did an exercise with this one lady and it's a very emotional exercise and she got really emotional she got and she started crying and she's like i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry right and the room's just very quiet everyone can feel it right they can feel that she is you know she's passionate about this she's overwhelmed she can't even talk cuz she's so passionate and, you know, so I, I let the moment. So one thing I'll see people do is they'll cut the moment off when they feel like it's getting into that, that range. You want people to experience that. You want them to have the full emotional range. Cause again, you don't want, if I were to cut off the emotion there, right. Again, it makes people feel like they're losing control, right? You want to naturally lead them through it. So I let that moment pass and I just looked at her and I said, I want to thank you for being willing to come up here, for being willing to be vulnerable. You know, you got a lot of value out of this. We just designed your entire marketing message because you were willing to do that. And that means a lot to me. And I looked at the audience and I said, what do you guys think? I mean, that was pretty amazing to see, right? And everyone's like, yeah. And I was like, can we, can we give her a round of applause for that one? Right? So you get everyone moving and it brings the, it brings the energy back up. So they have the chance to experience that. You can't, and you really can't stay at a nine the whole presentation. You will wear people down. But you got you to gotta start at a higher level because you can scale it back. It's harder to scale it up, right? Thinking about first impressions, it's harder to scale up than it is to scale back. It's, I mean, for me, this it's a really interesting area because being someone who's not only working in public speaking, but also uh, actively involved with Toastmasters International, it, it is one of the things I see people struggle with the most in, in learning public speaking skills of actually having a, a range of energy in it. And Toastmasters will pick people up on vocal variety, which I guess is one of the ways they really introduce that. They're like, well, if you're changing your voice, you're going to be changing some of the emotional level and, and it's not that it isn't just uh, going a bit high and low and using a full range of your voice that's important but actually having like you say speeding up slowing down and, and maybe even going a bit quiet sometimes where it's appropriate or going really loud when it may, and that is a flexibility that doesn't get taught in those uh, arenas some some trainings will teach it but generally come from people get more comfortable with having greater emotional flexibility and I do think that for me, that's a key part of influence and persuasion on any level is having yeah. the emotional flexibility to go where you need to go without worrying about how people are seeing you. Yeah. And I think, so that's a really good point. I actually want to touch on something that I just uh, learned about a couple of weeks ago. So it, it is about the, you know, the highs and the lows in the voice, but I want to say, and I'm sure you've got some other women who listen to this podcast. One of the things we learned, we had this really amazing speaker come into our event two weeks ago, and she was talking about how one of the things women don't realize is that men. So she said, think about your dog, right? Have you ever had, does anyone have a dog? And of course, you know, a handful of people, she goes, has your dog ever gone off barking at something random? And you're just like, dude, there's nothing there. <laughs> She's like, your dog hears things on a higher register than we do. So your dog actually heard something. You just didn't, right? <laughs> she said, guys are actually the opposite. 
So the, they, they have a lower register. And so a lot of times she's like, women, have you ever said something to your husband? And he just didn't seem to hear it. <laughs> she's like, it's not always them ignoring you. She said, sometimes women actually talk at a pitch that is high enough that it makes it difficult for men to hear. And so, <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. So, so it's using, like, I like how you went into, it's not just about going high and low with your voice, right? You can go high and low, but first of all, be careful about going too high for the women because it can make it hard for the men in your audience to hear you. But it is, it's about the resonance. It's about one, talking from your gut, really speaking from that core place. It's about talking slower when you really want to make a point. And it's about speeding it up and moving things along when you want people to get excited. And it's about louder and softer and all of those key pieces that play together you know, I really do think every, um, every public speaker should study some musical instrument at some point in time because you have to learn all of those pieces for a musical instrument. Now that's interesting. And yeah. it helps you understand that your voice truly is. I, I have a musical background and I have never really related the two. I now play piano and a few other instruments and, and had really never made that kind of connection. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, yeah. I think when I think about it, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, with music, you really have to, if you want to be great at playing music, you really have to get into the emotion and the flow of the music, the crescendos, the low parts, the, the where it goes staccato or speeds up or slows down, you, you have to be able to go with all of that flow. And, and I love that as uh, I'm going to use that at some point in my speaking, <laughs> I'm sure. One of the things that I just wanted to, to quickly mention, because I, I, I assume that you are speaking more or less in your natural register. Mm -hmm. do, yeah, right so, now currently, yes. Yeah, so a lot of women do have, as you mentioned, a naturally higher register. Their voices are more, are more high-pitched. And one of the things that has become apparent to me and I'm sure you you're already aware of this is is for that when women want to especially in a business environment want to be taken more seriously or have something seriously serious to say that it maybe it shouldn't but it does make a bigger difference to how seriously they're taken if they can bring their voice down as low as as low as they can without it getting ridiculously low but but as lo right. lower into a lower register because for some reason even for for guys, talking a bit of a lower register or a deeper voice adds more gravitas, more impact to what you're saying. Yeah, and and it's not about trying to be a guy or not embracing what makes you a woman because I could totally see someone taking this the wrong way and being like, well, men just need to take us. That's not what this is about, right? This is about the fact that you, you know, we want to be equal opportunity. You're talking to a mixed gender audience. You've got to understand that physically men don't hear the higher pitched when you're talking up here quite as well. They really resonate and connect with the, the lower, the lower resonance and women do too. We take the lower stuff seriously, taking it back to music, right? What happens in the serious moments of the movie? The music becomes slower and darker and deeper, and we go into a minor key, right? That's just how our brains are wired. This isn't about guys or girls. This is about how is the brain wired and making the most out of that. 
becoming your best influential part. So I just, I wanted to touch on that because I could totally see someone going off on, you know. People are often looking for, for things to get upset about online these yeah. days. So, so I'm glad you made that qualification. Um, and, and it would be just as true for, for there are men who have a, a naturally higher register as well. Yeah. If it wants Agreed. to be taken a bit more seriously, just bring it down, bring it lower, slow yeah. it down, bring it lower. Um, and for, for anyone, even if you're... Even if your register is fairly a fairly normal level, it's going to make a difference. Yeah. It is it is that emotional variety. But you know, one of the things we're talking about particularly is influence and persuasion, and probably one of the areas where most people listening are interested in making that impact is things like having things you say make make an impact or drop in or to have some, that thing that you really want them to remember or take away needs yeah. to be said with enough impact and, and heard in the right way as well. And it doesn't have to be outside of what feels natural for you, but at the same time, so you want to go where you do feel comfortable because we do, we pick up when people are not authentic, we pick up on that and we tend to disengage from that pretty quickly. So don't necessarily go somewhere that's inauthentic for you, but at the same time, look to just take yourself into that lower portion of what is comfortable, what is your register. And the more you build that, that, you know, that knowledge, right? So I play the violin and the more you practice, the easier it becomes to play on the E string or the G string, both of which are actually a little bit more complicated to play on because they require different levels of pressure, different levels of bow control, all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Different placements of the arm. Mm. So the more you do it, the more you're, the easier it is to go into the A, the E string or the higher register or the the G string, the lower register. So because there are times when you want to take the energy up, where you want to make things a bit lighter, and then you do, you take your voice up higher, and uh, you maybe go a yep. bit lighter and fluffier. Uh, it is of having that variety. So we talked a fair bit about how we speak, and one of the things that we said we try and touch on today is also what to say, the the word choices. Mm, yeah. Um, I think this, so this is, this is as important and this, so we're adding layers in, right? So what I would recommend people do if they're listening to this, especially you know, if they're listening to this for like the first time is don't try and rewrite everything today. <laughs> start with your speech patterns, start practicing, you know, owning the speech patterns, your voice, all that stuff, and then go into worrying about the word choice, right? These are different layers Beautiful. that you can add in. Yes. Um, this is like but, years of experience coming into a podcast here. So it's like, yeah, it's right. not going to happen in a few hours. In a few, I, people all the time are like, oh my gosh, I wish I could just like in the movies, you know, where people have like a little earbud and like, they're like, can I just have you in my ear? I'm like, um, does it really work that way? But you know, if you practice, <laughs> you can build the same skill sets. Um, but word choice is huge. So I have seen, I mean, you think about what you do. Um, so example of yesterday, I had a couple of people were putting on this really hyper exclusive 10 person only retreat. I've had a whole bunch of people who are like, oh my gosh, I really want information on this. Um, and I had a, a handful of them who I texted yesterday and was like, hey, we need to meet. We have to have everyone registered by Wednesday of next week. So let's, let's meet. And um, I had several people who just texted back and said, what's the price? Okay. So here's a word choice, right? We have eliminated speech patterns completely at this point because they're trying to text with me. I'm trying to get them on the phone. So I text back and say, it will be easier to chat over the phone. If you can give me a few minutes and I'll type up something and send it over. So the word choice there is I'm acknowledging what you asked for. 
I'm letting you know what my preference is. I'm also letting you know I'm going to honor your request, but I'm going to give you the chance to take me up on my offer, which is the in-person or the over the phone first. So I sent them that text. Then I follow up with another text. And I could have gone straight into, well, it's $8,500 for one day of it, right? And that's a big turnoff, right? That's no one's going to be like, oh yeah, here you go, Steph. Here's my card. Go ahead and run that. So instead what I did was I, I walked them through. So, you know, first and foremost, one, this is what I would typically say over the phone. I'm going to try and keep it short via text so that you don't have to read a dissertation. But I do want to really thank you for being interested in this. It means a lot to me. These events are really important to me. And I'm going, like, this is literally the text I'm sending them. Um, and then I say, so a couple of quick details that will help explain why we've priced this where we have. Because it is not a cheap event. But we don't do cheap events. Cheap events are pitch fests. This is a valuable event. What we have put together is a one-day, ultra-exclusive, hyper-luxurious retreat. We will rent out an estate just for the attendees. We will pick you up from the airport. And once we pick you up, once you land, we will take care of everything you need till you leave. You will not have to spend another penny. We will have a private chef. And I start going into, and I'm listing out what all they get. And then at the end, I say, so for all of this, it will be $8,500. We can break it out into a couple of payment plans. I'll call you tomorrow morning just to go over the details again and see if you have any questions. So that does word choices here does a couple of things. One, I just don't slap them across the face with a massive price point. Okay. Two, I'm giving them a couple of keywords that make, that really appeal to this particular audience. Ultra exclusive, hyper luxurious, right? They are like, oh, that sounds really nice, right? We're calling it a workcation, not a, not a retreat, not a vacation. It's a workcation, right? So choosing words that have these emotional connections, right? I can't call it a vacation because they're going to be working, okay? But vacations have, has a completely different um, association with it than a retreat or a work event. And so calling it a workcation, you know, we're going to get you in a hot tub. We've got fire pit. We're going to have all this fun stuff makes it less about like, it doesn't make them afraid of being interested in this event because a lot of times people are afraid to be interested in an event because they're afraid they're going to get overwhelmed or overworked. So we take that out of the equation right away, just with word choice. Workcation, ultra exclusive, hyper luxurious. Just eliminate that that concern uh, right I'm off. I'm hearing the bat. that, and I'm thinking, yeah, I want to know more. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> that and that. So your word choice, and then I'm trying to think of um, of an, an example. I will often end up rewriting my emails before I send them because I I look it over and I'm like, ah, it's phrased a little negatively. Like it's kind of coming across, you know. Um, like for example. I don't say stuff like, well, we don't do that. Okay. We don't do that. That's negative. Don't like that's just, and that, and that shuts down the conversation. I never want to shut down the conversation. So instead I'll say, that's a really great idea. And we looked into that. Here are the challenges we found with fulfilling that. So here's what we offered instead. That's a totally different conversation. And again, that's word choice. We don't do that. Shuts down. We're over your, what I said with, we don't do that is 
your idea is stupid and I'm not giving you any merit. That's, you know, yeah. no one wants to hear that. It's interesting. I mean, one of the things we talked about on, on this is a third podcast I've recorded this week. It's a busy recording week this week. So, uh, <laughs> so it's good. But um, one of the things that's come up on both of the previous podcasts that I've recorded with other guests has been this issue of people using some of the tools of influence and persuasion negatively like fake scarcity like things like saying well you know there's only a limited time to buy this or we'll only take this many people and like well mm-hmm. no for, for me as I, uh, I I know from experience now from having seen so many people do do things that way if I'm ever going to say that like, there really is only space for 10 people in this program there is only going to be 10 people in that program it's like well we might right. do a waiting list for the next one but there is only going to be 10 people in this program and um, because I, I personally with integrity hate that fake scarcity stuff uh, and yet so so many people so many people are doing it and like the one of the ones that gets pointed out a lot now online is people having just putting a seven at the end of the price now i've been in trainings where where that gets taught as well where that's been taught as like when you get you do your you do your fake price price contrast of normally it would be this much but today is this much and oh, yeah. it's uh, just the uh, uh, something ending in seven whereas it whatever it was before uh, and and it's really cheesy when when you know the structure when you know how they organize it and you know i i've i have to be honest i, I have even taught that because i thought that at one point in my earlier days because i thought that's how you were supposed to do it and it was only from having negative experiences and from understanding more that that oh no, that's crass, it's, uh, it's uh, cheesy and it's a bit fake as well. So let's just well, be a bit more honest about it. And it, it, the problem is that one, it did work for a long time and two, it does still work on some people. It does. But again, like those are usually the people who are not the savvy buyers. Um, you know, I, I will say there is value in having, if you're doing it in writing, like on a landing page or on a website, having something that is, you know, Fourteen ninety seven versus fifteen hundred dollars. Sure, um, but there real is, price contrast is is a is a different thing as well. Though. Oh yeah, well and and you know that always that always drives me crazy when they get it because they all use the same formula. They always you know pitching from the stage has become something I almost I, I've minimal respect for, which is not nice to say. And and I feel like you know there's some good people out there who do pitches from the stage, but there's so many people out there that do these just over the top cheesy. And the, the thing is, I'm not totally sure how, but there's some like BS meter that goes off in our head that we can tell when it's not legit. So they're sitting there and they're listing it out. You would normally have to buy this for 597, yeah, 597. You would normally have to buy this for this, this for this, this for this. And you can almost tell like, yeah, they don't actually sell it for that. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, so, so they're sitting here saying you're saving $6,000, but the reality is you would never buy any of these things alone. So doesn't really matter because I'm not saving that much money. And two, are they actually selling it for five ninety seven, or is it a price point? Because I can sit here and be like, oh yeah, yeah, my one on one coaching twenty five thousand dollars an hour. Oh yeah, I can say that all I want. I can put that on the website, sure. but if no one's gonna buy it, like, 
Well, I guess you only need one person to buy it at that price for it to be true. But yeah, if that's not actually what you've ever sold it for, then, then of course not. Then, that, then that's yeah. your own ethics and integrity. But, the, but yeah. this, on, on a bigger scale, that this is maybe where the the sort of sleazy image of sales comes from or people thinking you know, it's just people using formulas and, and conning people tricking people into making sales that they might not otherwise buy but we're just talking about maybe being a bit more elegant but also you know, what you're saying is like more, more with elegance more with integrity that you can still influence in nice ways but you're not oh yeah you're not pushing you're not you're just making, you're just presenting things in the best way that is going to be most appealing to the people who you want to target, giving them something that they actually want, and that that makes perfect sense. You know, this, uh, this is where I think sales training. This is what all sales training should probably be like. I, I I agree. I wish more people would do this, but you know, and it is interesting because I have had people who have come up to me. So our big event every year is the Grow Retreat. We do, we spent all year putting this event on. Um, we're adding another big one this year, but up until now, the Grow Retreat is our big one. It is 75 seats, you know, extremely exclusive. Like we, everyone has to interview in order to attend. There is no pitching rule. Like there's a hard no pitching rule. Um, and I've had people who said, you know, Steph, you know, you really should do a pitch for the next year from the stage. And I said, look, here's what we do. On day two, we get these really, really nice quality invitation cards, almost like a uh, save the date for a wedding type of card. And we put them in everyone's seat. And then we announce in the morning, heads up, if you do want to register to come back next year, the form is in your sheet. You can look at the pricing in there. We think you're adults. We understand like, you can make your own decisions. We're not going to sit here and browbeat you with it. So we don't even mention that. We just say your, your form is in your, is in your folder. Just turn it in before you leave. If you do, these are the two or three bonuses that are only active on site. Once you walk out that door, they're, they're expired. So, and Steph is hardcore about this. You guys know her. Don't walk out the door and call her on Monday and try and do this. She won't go for it. So, um, and that's it. We mention it at the end of the day. We say, by the way, please come back. Join us next year. Please keep in mind, if you walk out, those three bonuses will not be active. We put little signs up on the doors. That's it. There's no... Like I went to an event where, you know, the person spent four hours pitching for her next event. And I was just sitting in the room going, seriously, like we're adults. We can make a decision. Like she gave us all the information the day prior and then she spent four hours pitching the next day. And I was like, we can make decisions on our own. We don't need this. We don't need this level. And I think, I think that's, the issue, a lot of people sit there and they're like, well, you know, people can't make decisions on their own. I'm like, they can. Yeah, yeah, they can, you know, build your influence skills so that you can help influence them. You can help them understand and feel comfortable because that's the biggest thing. People don't make decisions when they feel uncomfortable. And so if you can use your skills to help people feel comfortable with the decision, they'll make the decision they would naturally make. They'll make the decision to work with you or not based on whether or not it's actually a fit for them. And you'll have a lot more fun working with the people who actually choose to buy from you. And, and, yeah. And you're expressing yourself in a way that fits with, with who you are, with your yeah. values. Right. 
and yep. and that's that's an important part and a, and a part of that i wanted to come to as well is that, that about the values in business because we've touched on some of the sort of ethical or unethical sides of things a little bit but but actually how people then go and express their values so i mean the word choice and speech patterns are a part of that mm-hmm. yeah but, there, but there's more as well there's more of like un- understanding what your values are and how they get expressed within what you do in your business right yeah well so if you think about you know and this is something i encourage every sales rep every business owner to to know every person you should know what your personal core values are, or you, you know, um, Mike Michalowicz calls them your immutable laws. These are the, these are the, the characteristics that you live your life by. Um, and you not only, this can't just be a list of words. Like I, I always joke, right? Every business out there has integrity, honesty, and justice for all like type of core values, which mean nothing. Right. And so I encourage, I'm like, like, if you're going to choose integrity, that's cool. But if you're going to have integrity be one of your core values, I want you to be able to walk me through why it matters to you. A time when someone didn't have integrity and why that's seared into your brain and what your definition of integrity is in one to two sentences. And when you get that kind of clarity around what are your core values, what are your immutable laws? What matters to you? What's your North Star? What I find is it comes out in everything you do and everything you say. You find ways to portray that. And I think, me personally, I think this is where we get that, that BS meter from, is our core values. Something When you understand what matters to you, when a warning light goes off, you can sit there and go, I don't feel like this person is acting with integrity or with, you know, passion or, you know, whatever, whatever their core values are, they can, they can actually put it into words. I'm not comfortable moving forward because I don't feel like this person has this core value. And so I think it's really important because it creates, um, it creates a, you know, we talk about gut instinct, follow your gut. And there's actually a neural mass around your gut that is larger than the neural mass in your brain. And so you actually have like gut instincts and you can fine tune that a little bit by understanding what your core values are and you will communicate those to people and you will understand if they're communicating them back. And, and it's not necessarily it's not always about word choice. It's not always about speech patterns. Sometimes it is both and how they come together or don't that either shows you that you're in alignment and you want to move forward with this person or you're not and you need to, you need to part ways, you need to move on. I, I think we do often get, uh, we probably call it an intuitive sense about whether people are being true to themselves, whether they're in their integrity or not because we do get a sense of people. Now, I know when I first started learning from, when I first signed up for NLP training, that was sort of the, it was a production. I mean, really, I, I, no, I'll go back to that now. Uh, not saying this too much critically because it was also great. It was a great experience, but, but it was very much a production. But I know that the person leading that production was also acting rather than living that. 
and I and I think maybe I did have some kind of sense of they had really bigged up their energy for this and and um and that they weren't necessarily the same off the stage as they were on the stage yeah. and and so you're portraying portraying one thing but living another and the more I got involved with that particular company the more I found that was that that was actually the case whereas now I have my, now I have a lot of business association have done for the last 10 years or so with T Harvecker. I think I've mentioned to you before when we spoke and uh, and so Harv just is a good example of somebody who um, you know he'll go and he'll he will do a great show he doesn't really do much now he's pretty much mostly retired and but when he's up there speaking he is that same person that is now I, I know him off the stage as well as on the stage that that he's true to himself and yeah. you, you really get that. And that, there are some, sometimes where I've heard him say things and say, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't go there. That's too vulnerable. Or that's a bit, oh, I'm not sure about that. But he really goes there, that personal thing, because, because you know, that's where his heart's at. It's not this completely sort of everything is censored and stuck to a, a specific script. You know, yes, it follows a, a plan a schedule, but um, he will put in whatever's in his heart or whatever comes up for him to say as well sometimes sharing yeah. stories that you might think I'm not sure I would have shared that but you but you get where it's coming from and then to, if you yeah. do if you, if you are one of those people who gets to know him off there like, well yeah okay he's kind of true to that as well and and that for me means you know I I love working with people who have high integrity but I, I love people who are I, I see a part of integrity as being true to your values as being true to who you who you really are and, yeah. and living that in, in as many parts of your life as you can. Of course, it doesn't mean that you can't turn up your energy when you need to for a, for a talk, or, or but, but that you still stay within some kind of boundaries of who you actually are as a person and what you stand for. And, and so yeah. I, 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 work, I work very much, and I hope I do live that myself in my own values and my, my own talks. And, uh, but, you know, it's good to sometimes know that there are those people out there. Not everyone out there is trying to scam you. It's like there are a lot of people out there who are, <laughs> who are really genuine and, and are actually very good at the sales stuff. And, and sometimes will be a bit high energy or will be, maybe will do things that you don't expect or might make you laugh or might make you question. And that's great. That's, that's how life should be. No, I, I agree. And I think, you know, there's this whole thing out there, you know, fake it till you make it type of thing. Uh, yeah. I, I so disagree with, you know, you can't fake it because you, if you fake it till you make it, the problem is, you know, then that becomes who you are, a fake person, right? And now you have to live this. And I tried to do that for years because I was always worried about, you know, I, I know public figures often talk about how difficult it can be to be a public figure and to have a personal life. And so for, you know, a few years, I tried really hard to separate the two. And what I just found was it just created two Stephanie's and nobody knew who they were getting when Stephanie showed up. <laughs> so it created confusion. And I just decided, you know, and it was so much energy to try and be, you know, the public figure, Stephanie, and then the Stephanie. And I was just like, okay, this is it. I'm done. I'm just going to be me. And people are either going to gravitate towards it or they're not, right? Because the public figure, Stephanie, was like this carefully curated, cultivated person that wouldn't offend anybody, wouldn't upset anybody, you know. And, and you know, the truth, Stephanie, sometimes I say stuff wrong and sometimes I offend people and sometimes it comes out of my mouth too quickly and 
sometimes I, you know, words pop out of my mouth. The podcasters go, we don't say that on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, once I started to embrace that side of me, one, it made my life a lot easier because there was no more sitting there and being like, okay, I gotta be, I gotta be the public figure. I gotta be the, it was just like, I'm just Stephanie. Like, I'm just gonna show up and be me. And yeah, sometimes I'm high energy. Sometimes I'm low energy, you know, it's, that's part of who I am, but I'm authentically me all the way through. You're not trying to just live this image or or perception of of who you are. You're living as a real person. And I do think that's where some people struggle. And I think a lot, especially in what is really generally a very celebrity obsessed culture now that, uh, that we, that we do still have uh, people that, well, someone puts a foot out of line as it were, there are obvious exceptions to this, but um, but generally, you know, when some puts foot out of line or does something they shouldn't do, it's all over their papers. It's all in the news headlines, and and this is people's personal lives being treated as news as well. And be- yeah. also that thing of well, they have this certain image, and then they don't live up to that in some way because they're flawed human beings, the same as the rest of us. People suddenly change their opinion of them, or they're suddenly rally against them and it, it, it just because they did something or said something that wasn't quite what they wanted them to be they didn't didn't fit with the group think or didn't fit with the uh the perception of the image that everyone wants to have of them because ultimately they are human they're not these perfect infallible beings that are living that perfect lifestyle and image that you see because nobody can that's too much right. pressure for too much pressure for anybody so the the authenticity thing is is super important, but it's it is liberating, right? To make that decision of I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to have everybody like me. It's okay if I sometimes slip up and say the wrong thing, and a few people get offended or come and complain or troll me online or whatever ends up happening. So it's okay. That's going to happen. It's life, and, and these things are to be expected. I would far rather. I would far rather get out there with a message and, and impact people who are going to relate to that and like what I have to say and learn something from it than to try and connect with everybody and and suppress who I really am in order to do that. Yeah, because you, like you said, sooner or later, if you, if you do that, like you said, sooner or later, the real you comes out and now you lose a whole bunch of fans because they weren't, they weren't connected to who you really are, right? So being who you are. And this is, I mean, I know we're talking public figure wise, but this is in sales. This is in business. This is in life. You know, having two sides of who you are makes it difficult to create real connection with people um, across the board. And I know there's some people who are like, well, but Stephanie, but I'm, I'm so introverted that, you know, I need to be a different person in order you know, because otherwise I just wouldn't talk to people. And I'm like, well, then find the side of you. First of all, there are a lot of highly successful introverts out there. So there's no way that, you know, you can't do this, but find the side, find the way that you can be out there with people and connect with people in a way that is still authentic to you. Right. And then, yeah, you give yourself space to go home and be alone and read your book in the dark. And it's cool. Like that's fine, but you still got to go out there and be you. And you got to be you in your sales appointments. You got to be you in your meetings with your, your employees. You got to be you in your meetings with your team, your vendors, your customers, your friends, your networking events, on stage, off stage, on video, on video. You got to be you, who you are. And when you own it, 
it just, it's so freeing to just be able to say, this is who I am and I'm cool with it. I agree, uh, and I think that's a, a, a super important message that I, that I hope more and more people get. Of course, if some of the feedback starts to come back that who you are is a complete asshole, you might want to make some adjustments <laughs> in your life. Right, yeah, that one, that one you might, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I do not, I do not recommend, and this is definitely not a license to be like, well, this is who I am, like, you know, I get to run over people. Like, no, no, no. Your rights end where mine begin, right? You can't, you can't express your right over my life. So you don't get to be like, that's cool. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not going to let you run me over. And yeah, right. If you are finding people are running away, everyone's running away from you. You might look around and, and, and have a really hard, and, and you know what? I would recommend at that point, you probably go work with a coach or a therapist or someone who can help you kind of dissect out who you are and you know, what parts of you, you don't like, and you would like to change. Um, because that's, you know, there's going to be parts of you and sides of you that you don't want to change. I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, I'm really difficult to work for. I'm very, very demanding. I have high standards and yet my team loves me. So there's parts of me I, I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change my high standards for my team. Sure. I'm not going to change sending something back if I don't think it was up to quality, right? I'm not going to change any of that. But I'm also, that's not all of who I am, right? I've made sure there, that I removed the side of me that only expected perfection. I kept the side that wanted the high quality, right? And I can still be difficult to work for, but my team, they're like, you know what, Steph, I would rather you called me out on it, then you got upset about it and didn't say anything. And so, you know, I think that's a good example of could be an asshole. Um, but because I've worked to take out the parts that are just all asshole and insert some, you know, nicer parts too, it works and it works for me and it allows me to own who I am. Yeah. Um, so, so, it's, but it's I authentic did that. conversations, right? right. Uh, but, but learning to, we all have to learn to have those authentic conversations in ways that aren't just a bull in the china shop that, that we, we tread in a way that isn't just going to put people's defenses up as well, or have them feeling so bad about themselves that they go going home to cry and think I'm never going to work there again. Um, but, so, so it is part of, it's not just for ourselves to hopefully be a bit nicer and improve ourselves in those situations, but also because the message gets received in, in better ways, the way that you would want, hopefully want it to be taken of. I want you to take this on board, but not take it as a, uh, I hate you because of this, or, or, or that this is, uh, like your life is over because you can't do this one thing. It's really right. just, I want you to take some feedback here. I want you to grow. And, and it is getting, sometimes getting people that understand, uh, moving i guess it is moving people from the fixed mindset to the growth mindset really isn't it it's yeah of, this isn't taking anything away from you this is hopefully helping you to grow to grow more and grow bigger and i think that maybe is part of the part of getting it for yourself as well of understanding that you know, when you really understand that the the fixed mindset is one where criticism or negativity is taking something away from you it means you're not good enough Whereas the growth mentality means those things won't happen. They're an opportunity for expansion, an opportunity for you to learn from that and become better and bigger because of those experiences. One is very, is a downward spiral and the other is an upward spiral. Mm -hmm. Yep. I agree. And, and it, it, that's such, I, I feel like that's 
just such a great example of, you know, yeah, it's something that you could be an asshole, right? You could be perceived as, or, or you can take the same conversation, make some subtle tweaks to how you deliver your speech patterns, your word choice, and you can transform the entire conversation. And, you know, and it just comes down to you being that authentic you, being who you, who you know you want to be, who you know you need to be. Yeah. And, um, and, and owning it and learning, learning the patterns of influence. <laughs> such useful skills to have uh, for, for many, many reasons. Uh, and uh, I feel like, no, I won't, definitely want to be respectful of your times. I want to draw things to a close, but I, I feel like we could talk for, for hours and it would just be so fascinating. But, uh, uh, but I think this is actually kind of a nice point to start to, to draw things to a close on because we've talked about some really nice things. And I, and I think there is a lot of value in what we've talked about today as well, a lot of things to learn. And as you said, don't try and make changes, all the changes all at once. Just take, start with a bit of it. If, if this is all new to you, you know, take the bit that you most need and do some work with that. And then the other stuff will, will come from that as well. I, I, I am sure some of the watchers, listeners are going to want to know more about you or how they could get in contact with you. So please tell us, how, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, best thing to do would be to go to uh, my company's website, uh, growdisrupt.com. You can go to my website, my public figure site, thestephanysheller.com, like the one and only Stephanie Scheller, but just the Stephanie Scheller. Um, and if you reach out on either of those sites, my team is really, really good. They'll get you to me within 24 hours. Um, you can also find me. I'm a Facebook addict. Uh, so I'm there all the time. And um, if you check me out there, you know, you're welcome to send me a friend request or just follow me on there um, posting regularly. Um, if you do send me a friend request, just be like, hey, I found you on the podcast so that I know to accept your friend request because otherwise I get random ones that look really weird and I don't <laughs> usually accept Yeah, I get, I get a lot of those as well. And uh, so you, you have your own podcast as well. So just mm -hmm. remind, remind the audience how they can check out your podcast. So our podcast is Black Belt Selling. So I actually I do it with my mother. We're a mother-daughter team doing the podcast. Uh, and so they can check that out. If you go to growdisrupt.com and click on resources, and then down towards the bottom of the page, there is the links to Black Belt Selling. Your mother must be very different to mine. I can't imagine having my mother on a podcast. It would be chaos. <laughs> oh my God. My mom, is, she is smart. She is, she, we have a lot of fun together. People always laugh. She actually emceed our event, um, our big event a couple of weeks ago. And um, everyone, I just got so much feedback. People were like, oh my gosh, Steph, you two on stage together, you're precious. You two are hilarious. Like you two would get on stage. They were some of the funniest moments of the whole event. <laughs> and I was just laughing. I, have, I was like, I have a whole stand-up comedy routine about things my mom says. So <laughs> I guess that could be funny on a podcast, right? But great, I, lo I love it. You, you do the podcast with your mom. So, so Black Belt Selling, can come, people can come and check that out. But you also have a few best-selling books. So, so give us a, a little taste of those and, and uh, well, make sure that the links are in the uh, description for people as well. So we have, uh, my first book was Friend Power, How the Friends You Choose Can Change the Course of Your Life. And I wrote this book because I was realizing how important um, the friends you have and the friends you choose are to influencing where you end up everywhere in every aspect to your religious stances, your you know family life, your everything. Um, and I wanted a book, not just about 
the unconscious influence your friends are having on you, but also what to do about it. Because a lot of us, you know, there was a stage when I had friends who were, and even now I'll still find people in my circle that are not great that I don't really want to hang out with. Um, and so I wrote, you know, the first, first portion of the book is all about how are these guys influencing you? The second portion of the book is about, okay, so what do you do? Once you realize you've got some people in your life that are not great for you, what do you do about it? How do you take ownership? How do you take control? Um, without burning bridges, without sitting there and, you know, you don't have to call someone up and be like, I don't like you anymore. We're done. Like, you don't have to do that. So I, I walked you through that. And then my second book was um, Getting Past the Gatekeeper. And we did this one just as like a pocket-sized manual. And it's all about how do you get past the gatekeeper in sales, the, you know, the secretary or the wife that doesn't want to let you talk to the husband. Um, and that one came from, you know, when I was in sales originally, I would I hated the gatekeeper. I would always complain about the gatekeeper. And those darn gatekeepers, if they would just get out of my way. And... Um, couple of years into running the sales training practice, uh, one, of the one of my clients was complaining to me about gatekeepers and how, well, how much of a pain in the butt they are. And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, I don't have problems with gatekeepers anymore. And he was like, what do you do? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> right. So I sat down and I, I, I actually tried to figure out what do I do to get past the gatekeeper and it ended up turning into a whole book. Great. Well, they, they both sound like a lot of value and we'll have links to those in, in the descriptions for anyone who would like to go and check them out. Highly recommended. I'll be taking a look myself. I want to know more, especially oh. the friend power. And uh, I, I have a feeling that people are going to like this podcast a lot and, and that they'll enjoy it. It's, it's, it's been a lot of fun speaking with you. And, and so hopefully maybe at some point again in the future, we can come together and maybe do another podcast another time. Uh, for for some of the audience a bit further down the line, but that would be wonderful. But for now, it has been a really wonderful experience. Let me just finish by saying, is there anything I should have asked you or that you wish I'd asked you that I didn't? Oh, man. I don't think so. I mean, we really covered <laughs> covered a lot of ground here. Um, I really, I had a lot of fun with this podcast. I, I think people will enjoy it too. I think we, we covered a lot of stuff that I don't think gets talked about as much. Um, and that, it's really, really cool. So thank it you for giving me the platform. Thank you. Uh, and I say, I would love to have you back as a guest again in the future for sure. And uh, if you ever like me as a guest on your podcast, I'd be very happy to do that. That would be uh, interesting. And of course, meet your mum perhaps. But, right. <laughs> but, but, but for now, you, you've given so much value and really it has been uh, a lot of fun and, and a great call and a great fantastic podcast so thank you stephanie so much for that uh, so remember check out stephanie shelling go and take a look at her books and her podcast and her website and uh, i hope everyone listening has enjoyed this and has got at least one thing that they can take away from this podcast and do something with it's like it's all good and we're just listening but you have to put stuff into action as well is otherwise it's all going on in your head and not in the real world Let's make stuff happen in the real world and, and make this uh, make the sales world a better place and make all the world a better place. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you so much for having me.